It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you control the discussion today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino, author of Go Bills and Buffalo's Run, also the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. want to thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, and a big welcome and shout-out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, I appreciate y'all being here very, very much. I'd also like to invite you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Well, folks, it is time for Herd Mentality. You know the drill. You guys supply the questions, comments, takes, whatever you have regarding the bills, and I respond to them here on the podcast. And we've got some good stuff, really Really good stuff, especially at the beginning here. And I'm excited to dive into this first question because I think it really gets into what a lot of people are asking. And I really appreciate the way that it was framed. And this question prompted me to really think hard. And I think I have a compelling answer. So let's get into it. The first one is from Justin. Justin says, everyone is pointing at Ken Dorsey and Sean McDermott for the offensive lull. I do, do believe Dorsey deserves criticism and Josh deserves criticism as well. But what's going on with this offense? I think this is more than a Dorsey issue. Allen is not trusting things. Gabe Davis has been invisible. I thought the comments from McDermott and Allen were telling. Not a good answer to not running hurry up more from McDermott and from Allen just trying to run the plays being called in. What do you take from all of this? Well, first of all, let's acknowledge that the Bills are in a rut offensively and it's been a five game situation. And I think in six of the nine games this year, the offense has been underwhelming. And I understand pointing fingers at Ken Dorsey. I understand pointing fingers at Sean McDermott. They're in charge of the whole thing, right? Of course, if it's not performing well, they deserve blame. Josh Allen also deserves blame. Plenty of issues with him not executing the offense as it's designed to be executed. There's also the inability to lean on the run game. I know statistically there's been some good things happening with the run game, but when they've been in these ruts, it's not like they can just turn to the run game and that gets them out of it. Certainly Gabe Davis as your number two receiver and his very inconsistent output on a weekly basis. There's a lot of different things, and one of the things that I've tried to really communicate is don't champion one thing. If you do that, you're going to be so rooted in that one thing that you think is the most important thing that you're not being mindful enough to everything else. And there's a lot of different things in play here that's leading to the offense not performing as well as it should. But I think to really get to the root of it, you have to think about last year. You have to think about last year. And I think this was a light bulb moment for me as I've taken the time to really think about this. And 
I spent a lot of time thinking about this stuff. I mean, literally all the time. And I want to try to give you guys insightful answers and let you know honestly how I feel about these things. And I started to think about last year and the criticisms that we had for the Bills offense last year. The big talking point was the need for more efficiency. They needed to be a more efficient offense. We all remember Josh Allen getting hurt against the Jets. And then from that point forward, Josh Allen was launching the ball down the field like crazy. From that game on, the the next game after he got injured against the Jets, so week 10, through the playoffs, 18.5% of Josh Allen's passes were 20 yards or more down the field, by far number one in the NFL. His average depth of target was 11.1 yards, which is insanely high. Number one in the NFL by a pretty comfortable margin. Josh Allen was big play hunting. And we were alarmed by that. And we talked about how he needed to be a more efficient quarterback because leaning on low percentage deep throws leads to inconsistent offense. And we had conversations about easy button throws and taking what the defense gives you. Well, that's what happened. That's what they did. They've created an offense that is tailored for Josh Allen to become a more efficient quarterback. He leads the league in completion percentage. We're all excited about that. Well, that's a product of the offensive structure, allowing Josh Allen to have answers built in to have coverage beaters built in for whatever the defense is doing. And it's there for him. And now we're frustrated that he's not taking those easy answers. And that there's a lot of commentary about how Josh Allen's been neutered and he doesn't trust the scheme. Well, folks, what is it? What is it? Do you want him to big play hunt? Do you want him to be efficient? Because at the end of last season, people were mad at the big play chasing, and now people are mad now that Josh Allen doesn't trust the scheme when it's tailored for him to be a more efficient football player. So far in 2023, Josh Allen's average depth of target is 8.7 yards from the line of scrimmage. That's a pretty normal number. Again, 11.1 last year from week 10 on. His deep throw percentage is 12.7, down from 18.5%. And 12.7 is a pretty normal number. And so you got to thread the needle here. That's what you have to do. You have to thread the needle. You have to have the efficient components of the offense. You have to have the vertical components. And you certainly got to let Josh Allen be Josh Allen with his ability to win outside of structure and, of course, run. But I think in order for us to appreciate, maybe that's the wrong word, understand, exactly what's going on with this offense right now. We have to remind ourselves of the frustrations we had with the offense late in the season. And it has adapted. But Josh Allen also has to embrace that. The bottom line here is Ken Dorsey and Josh Allen have to get on the same page. And at the end of the day, Josh Allen needs to execute. And Ken Dorsey needs to have a play sheet full of stuff that makes sense for Josh Allen. Because right now it doesn't feel like 
that's happening. We're sitting here watching this tape. I'm watching this tape week in and week out, frustrated by the decisions Josh Allen doesn't make because the answers are built in. There are easy button throws, and he turns them down. Well, what do we want him to be? I think we want him to be Josh Allen, but there's things along the course of him being Josh Allen and doing all the special things that he does where he needs to take the opportunity to do the smart right thing with the football. And then when necessary, become the stallion that you are and make crazy plays with all your physical gifts. They got to figure out how to thread that needle. But I think it's really critical for us to appreciate what's going on right now to remind ourselves of the narratives last season and the frustrations of last season. But they got to get aligned. They got to get on the same page here because this football team is underperforming and it needs to be better. And so embrace what everybody is and execute. Execute. And that doesn't mean Ken Dorsey's off the hook, folks. Please, gosh, I'm not saying that at all. I'm frustrated with Ken Dorsey. I'm frustrated with Josh Allen, too. You can be frustrated at more than one thing. I'm frustrated with Gabe Davis. I'm frustrated that the run game is not something that they can lean on with consistency. It's not just one thing. But remind yourself of those narratives from last year so that you can understand the shift in the structure of the offense and why it looks the way that it does. You got to thread the needle. You have to thread the needle. That's what's got to happen. You know what else you got to do is you got to check out game time. Folks, maybe you want to get to a Sabres game. You want to get to a Bills game. Well, you got to check out game time. It is the best way to buy tickets to your next big event. They have everything. They have sports, music, comedy, theater events. My wife and I went on there and got tickets for Peppa Pig, right? Coming coming here to, to Charlotte and doing a whatever they do for the children. You know, you can get tickets to anything on there. And they've got killer deals on last-minute tickets. They have all-in prices. You get a view from your seat. They give you a best, best price guarantee. They take the guesswork out of buying tickets. They have flash deals. The app is super easy to navigate. And they send the tickets directly to your phone. So you never have to dig through your emails to find the tickets. They come right to your phone. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKDOWNNFL for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. The next one today comes from Bills WZA, who says, what is the biggest factor to explain our pass rush changing from best in the league to non-existent? Is it related to the players out on injured reserve, our defensive linemen playing injured scheme, or something else? It's a good question here, and kind of lost in the offensive conversations that we can't stop having is that the Bills defense is not playing well. And I know that we, we talk about holding the Bengals to 24 points and that's a great thing and all that. Like they're doing well, all things considered, but all things considered, they're also playing really bad. Uh, you look at EPA, defensive EPA, weeks one through four, the Bills were fourth in the NFL in defensive EPA, weeks five through nine, 30th, right? We got a problem here and we know the answer. They don't have their guys. They're, they're, you, it's hard to play your best football when you don't have your guys. But specifically to the question here about the decline in pass rush, it goes in it goes hand in hand with the decline of the defense. And the pass rush complements the coverage just like the coverage complements the pass rush. And so yeah, you're you're missing 
You're missing your two best coverage players, right? Matt Milano and Trey White. That's probably your two best coverage players. They're they're not there. They're nowhere. They're they're injured. You're probably missing Daquan Jones. Was probably your best pass rusher when he was healthy. So that's huge. That's absolutely huge. Not to mention the intermittent injuries that have cost players time. And there's several defensive linemen that are not themselves right now. We'll start with Von Miller. The guy's easy to block. He's a complete non-factor for this team. Complete non-factor. And I understand the context I do, but he's not helping this team. He's hurting this team. Leonard Floyd's playing with a hurt ankle. Ed Oliver's got a foot injury. Greg Rousseau's got some significant foot injuries. So you got, you're missing your best coverage players. Your best pass rushers are a shell of themselves right now. That's what's going on. Got to figure it out. Remember, nobody cares about your problems in the NFL. I promise you the Denver Broncos are game planning for the Bills. They don't care. They don't care that Matt Milano and Trey White and Von Miller and all these guys are basically not available. You got to play them all. And some teams are healthier than others, but everyone's got injuries. And at the end of the day, nobody cares. Go out and execute. In 10 years from now, when we're thinking about the 2023 Buffalo Bills, we're not going to be talking about injuries. We're going to talk about the results. And so injuries matter, but you got you to gotta embrace them and move on, and that's why you have depth. Next one here comes from Asia, who says, I feel like we look really bad on third downs. Do the numbers confirm this feeling? When we have the chance to stick it to the other team when it counts, it just seems we've been folding more times than not. Well, this is one of those situations where the – the eyeball test does not match the numbers. The Bills are tremendous on third downs, best in the league, 50% third down conversion rate. That's the best in the league. Um, so for as many frustrations as we have with the offense, they are converting third downs at a better rate than any team in the NFL. Eric says for herd mentality, can talk a little bit about Spencer Brown and his progress so far this season. I got a ton of Spencer Brown questions. Spencer Brown is playing good football. He's off to a very, very encouraging start through nine games. Really, compared to the conversations we had about him in the past, it's really different. I think he's performing at a level that I would label as a sufficient starting right tackle. And the Bills have had to help him less and less. Early in the season, they gave him a lot of help. That really hadn't been the same recently, and he's holding his own. I'll tell you what, I miss the times where Spencer Brown was the biggest problem with this football team. I I yearn for those days. Spencer Brown's had a lot of growth, and I think if you would attribute it to anything, it's it's all the stuff we've always talked about with his path to this point, the injuries, everything, right? Like, I'm not going to rehash the Spencer Brown conversation. But when I watch him play, I see growth in some critical areas. First of all, footwork and pass sets. He's doing a much better job with his kick slide and how he's framing pass rushers and putting himself in positions to be square, but also redirect inside and outside as necessary. So those set points, very, very sharp. His hand usage is is way better, way better. He's doing such a better job of being firm with his post hand, playing with extension, fitting his hands. And that was one of my gripes with him is that his hands were easily displaced last year. And that was leading to soft edges and guys were able to get around him. And so that is drastically improved. And then I would also point to him playing with overall better bend, right? He's a very tall football player. 
And that's a little bit hard, right? You talk about trench play in football. It's a lot of times about leverage and his body kind of works against him because not only is he tall, but he's narrow. I think he's done a much better job with weight distribution and using the ground for leverage and um, playing with better, better hip bend. It's his technique and fundamentals are better. He's healthy and he's playing the best football of his career. And he's far from a liability for this football team. So his growth has been one of the best storylines of this season. Dan says, if you had to rank the offensive line one through five in terms of who is playing the best so far this year, what would that ranking be? Uh, The first and the fifth one were very easy for me to identify. Number one is Deion Dawkins. And I know that I had some frustrations with him against Cincinnati, but when I think about the entire nine-game sample size, I think he's been the Bills' best offensive line. I think five has been Connor McGovern, and Connor McGovern hasn't been terrible, but there's been some run game communication issues that c- kind of bother me. Um, and sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's not okay. Uh, but I think if there's an offensive lineman that I feel like gets beat the most, it's Connor McGovern. And then the middle three, I don't know that there's a whole lot that really differentiates. I thought it was very easy for, for me to put Osiris Torrance at number four. I think some of his vulnerability recently has shown up, uh, particularly, I mean, he struggled against Cincinnati. So maybe there's a little bit of recency bias, but I have him at four. I have Spencer Brown at two. Um, uh, one spot of, above Mitch Morse. You could probably talk me into either one. We're splitting hairs there. Um, but I think Brown has honestly been a little bit more consistent than Mitch Morse, who I think has combined with Connor McGovern for some run game issues. And there was a game recently that Morse kind of struggled in pass protection. So I have it Dawkins, Brown, Morse, Torrance, McGovern. You can convince me that it should be Dawkins, Morse, Brown. But it's the the spirit of your question. That's the answer. Next one here from John, who says, I held off with this until after the trade deadline in case it became a moot point. Many people have been wishing Kyrie Elam out of town and are bashing him, labeling him a bust, etc. I happen to be a fan of first-round traits myself and tend to say not so fast. Clearly, Kyrie is not starting caliber right now and not performing like a traded-up first-rounder, but I wonder if we can take advantage of experience with A.J. Epinesa to learn from this. A.J. came to the team and needed to change his body type and play style. He did have second-round traits, though. He was labeled a bust by many. There was a chorus of get him out of here and Brandon Bean doesn't know what he's doing. But given the fullness of time, it turns out AJ is a pretty solid player and will will be in demand, if not by the Bills, by another team. And I'm quite sure the Bills want him back. I just wonder if this story should teach us patience when it comes to Kyer Elam. Yeah, one of the things about Kyer Elam that really was helpful for me in processing everything was Brandon Bean's comments after trading for Rasul Douglas. And talking about, hey, they're just kind of waiting for the light bulb to come on. And it happens differently for different players. And I love that he referenced Josh Norman and Rasul Douglas as players who the first two, three seasons of their career was pretty rough. But then the light bulb came on and they became impact starters. And it's pretty cool that Rasul Douglas and Josh Norman are now in the same cornerback room with Kyer Elam, right? That's going to be a benefit to Kyer Elam. But yeah, I think I think patience, if you haven't learned to be patient with the development of draft picks, I don't know what to tell you. You're just impatient. You got to, that's a personal thing because 
you look through the inventory, Josh Allen, Dawson Knox, Spencer Brown, welcome to this conversation. AJ Epinesa, you mentioned him, Ed Oliver, hello, Terrell Bernard. There's example after example of it taking a little time. So let it play out. Development is not always linear. It doesn't always happen exactly how you want it. But there's some some silly comments that come too fast because we want it quicker than it's going to happen. And then when it happens, nobody goes back and says, oh, man, I'm sorry about that. I really should have had more perspective, right? Can we do that in real time moving forward, please? So, yeah, good, good question here. And um, let's hope that the light bulb turns on quick for Kyrie Elam and he fulfills the promise of being a rated-up first-round pick. Drew says, what are the Bills' draft needs? Are there uh, any new players that we could reasonably expect to get with our current funk? So here's the thing about draft needs. Um, it's really going to depend a lot on who stays and who goes, right, in free agency. There's a lot of big-picture conversations that we can have there. I find myself most concerned about wide receiver uh, because I don't want to pay Gabe Davis, and I would like for the Bills to get a, a young answer at receiver that in two, three years can maybe be the number one that you can pair with Diggs and Kincaid and Shakir to give you this quartet of beautiful route runners. Like that's what I want, just dynamic players. And so I'd be, I'm thinking a lot about wide receiver, you know, interior defensive line and defensive end are two spots where the bills could have a bunch of turnover and you, you need to replenish there. Safety certainly stands out. Uh, but there's a lot that needs to happen before we can really talk about draft needs. But as I speculate today on November 7th, uh, that's kind of what comes to mind. And, um, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll be candid with you guys. I'm not where I usually am when it comes to NFL draft prospect preparation, um, but I'll get there. I'll get there. We'll be we'll be really ready on this podcast as it relates to the Bills and the NFL draft. All right, folks, we got more to get to, including some thoughts on Trey White versus Rasul Douglas, shotgun versus under center, Zach Moss. That's all coming up here in just a moment. but. Look, I am obsessed with DoorDash. The convenience of DoorDash is simply unmatched, especially in my busy life. We're all busy, right? It's hard for us to find time to cook dinner. It's hard for us to find time to go to the grocery store. Don't worry about it. DoorDash can handle that for you. And I especially love that DoorDash brings me food from my favorite local restaurants. We've got a pizza place right up the street called Rosario's. They make a great pizza. They have a really delicious Greek salad. And um, their chicken parmesan is incredible. Well, I just go to DoorDash, and it's brought right to my front door. It's amazing. Absolutely love it. And they'll bring you groceries just like you picked them off the shelf for yourself. So stop worrying about what's for dinner. Stop worrying about what you're going to snack on. If you're thirsty, maybe you need an energy drink, they'll bring you one from the convenience store. Check it out. Go to DoorDash app, right? Download the app, and you'll get 50% off up to a $10 value when you spend 15 bucks or more on your first order. So download the DoorDash app and enter code LOCKED23 to get this deal. Subject to change, terms apply. Again, don't forget to use code LOCKED23 for 50% off up to a $10 value on your first order when you download the DoorDash app and spend $15 or more. Subject to change, terms. The next one today comes from Pat, who says, Joe B., Joe Biscalia, has said on several occasions that Trey White was still not playing at a Pro Bowl level when he tore his Achilles. In fact, I think Joe had him graded out as a C for the year when he was injured. Do you agree that Trey was just average after coming back? If so, how would you rate the Bills' starting cornerback situation now after the trade as compared to the starters before Trey tore his Achilles? For the sake of the argument, assume that Trey would have not improved as the year progressed. 
yeah, Trey White wasn't performing at a Pro Bowl level for sure. Like I, I would agree with that, but I thought he was a good starter for the Bills. Average, I don't know. I think probably a little above average in my mind. I would say he was a quality starter. In four games, he was targeted 15 times, gave up nine catches for 60 yards, had an interception. I thought he was sounding coverage. And the Bills were moving him around and giving him the hardest assignment the other team had for the Bills to cover. And so I think he was definitely on the upswing. And it's hard not to consider that he would get better throughout the season because I think he was. And so run defense and tackling were bad from Trey White, but they always are. That's nothing new. And so when you ask the question, comparing the corner tandem of Trey White and Christian Benford to Rasul Douglas and Christian Benford, um, I think Trey White in his form this year and Rasul Douglas are pretty comparable. But Trey White has the higher ceiling and Trey White has the experience in the system. And so, no, I don't think that the Bills are better with Rasul Douglas and Christian Benford as opposed to Trey White and Christian Benford. Chris says, during the course of the season, you've talked a lot about different offensive formations for Josh and the offense. Can you please take a moment and educate us on what positives and negatives there are from Josh playing under center and shotgun, and also when utilizing play action. How do these offensive formations and strategies work for Josh, and what are the pros and cons of each? So shotgun and under center. I think the big benefits from shotgun is that in passing situations, you can see more for longer. Uh, you got to catch the snap, but because you're at like five yards of depth, I think you have a better opportunity to see the field, which includes the coverage but also kind of the pressure schemes and you can kind of get a really an accelerated feel for where where the the rush is going to be the hottest right where you're going to have the most problems with protection and it's also huge for rpos and zone read you can't run rpos and zone read not from shotgun so if you like those things it has to be shotgun so that's a huge benefit the cons of shotgun is, well, first of all, it's timing in the passing game um, because you are not doing that drop from under center. And so you have to account for that time as you survey the field and allow routes to elongate and develop. Um, so you have to be a little bit more patient um, because you got to give those guys a chance to get into their, their routes. And I think another big con of shotgun is from the run game perspective, with running backs, you know, they're catch they're, they're not catching, they're receiving the football from a static alignment. Um, where if you're under center, they can work towards the line of scrimmage as they receive the ball. And I think that gives them uh more obviously more power, right? Because they're converting speed to power, you're like you get that head of steam. Uh, but also they can kind of press the line of scrimmage a little bit differently that I think makes them more successful and it makes them easier, makes it easier for them to read the blocks. Now, when you talk about under center, I think the big benefits here are the timing of the routes. Um, because you are taking a three, five, seven step drop, you're synced up with the timing a component of your route combinations. And so you can hit that back foot and, and get the ball out. I think that's very helpful. Um, you also It also does help with the run game. I mentioned uh, with being able to work towards the line of scrimmage when they receive the football. 
but also from a quarterback's perspective, you have a lot more opportunity with ball handling because when you hand it off, you're you're turning your back to the defense, so you can you can do creative things to hide the football and and make it more difficult on the defense to process. And I think that's an underrated component of that. And Josh Allen's actually a very very good ball handler in those instances. Uh, cons of being under center: it's harder to see and feel pressure. Um, you know, you're you're right there. And so you, you got to get that depth to kind of feel and see it a little bit more. So that, that makes it more challenging. And obviously there's that possibility of getting your feet crossed up with the linemen uh, cause you're right there. So those are some of the things that come to mind for me when it comes to the benefits and cons of being in shotgun versus being under center. There's certainly give and take uh, with both. Chris says, I was just reading that Zach Moss is second in the NFL in rushing yards. I get the whole game plan specific back thing, but feels like there is something systematic that needs to be addressed with the Bills running game. Yeah, Zach Moss is second in the NFL in rushing yards. Imagine that. I think it was necessary. I don't think it was going to happen for him in Buffalo. Um, I think he needed a change. And Zach Moss was an ineffective player for the Bills. And it's not like they didn't give him opportunities. He just was very, very inconsistent. He was a power back that never looked powerful, uh, inconsistent with ball handling, Never really became the receiving threat, right? He just made a lot of mistakes. I think a change was necessary for him. I will say that when Zach was in Buffalo, in one of my big gripes with the Bills running offense throughout the years has been it didn't have an identity. It, it wanted to be a blended run scheme that ran zone and gap principles, and I don't think you can do both and be good at both, and that was a problem for the Bills, and I think that didn't help Zach Moss in his development. And also he was part of a backfield. It was him and Devin Singletary, and neither one of them had a speed element. And so without that dimension of the backfield, I think it limited the rushing attack. So, yeah, I think there were a number of things, but I don't I don't have regrets about Zach Moss not being with the Buffalo Bills because I think for him to become the best version of himself, he needed to go somewhere else because there were so many issues with his ineffective play that probably took away from confidence and he needed a fresh start. So I'm happy for him. Uh, last one here is from Gadil, who says, wanted to know what you would tell Sean McDermott, but the head coach side and not the defensive coordinator side, kind of like the question you had a while back when someone asked you what you would tell Ken Dorsey, and you said, involve Dalton Kincaid more, but I wanted to know what you would tell Sean McDermott with him being the head coach. I think if I had a chance to to do this with Sean McDermott, I would want to hear a little bit more about his approach and his objectives and see if I can find some chinks in the armor um, with kind of why the team hasn't gotten over the hump, right? For the last few years, I've thought the Bills had the capacity to do it and circumstances got in the way. And, you know, this year is certainly making me question some things um, about the capacity to do it. So I would want to probe and see what I can figure out um, and see if there's something about him that, is prohibitive to the team being more consistent and going further than it has. And so I don't know how to specifically tell you what I would say, but I think if I learn more about his approach and his objectives, I might know more. And listen, that's coming for someone who doesn't know the answer, right? Like if I knew everything about football and exactly what you needed to do, this 10 step process to winning a Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to diminish myself, but I don't know that. But I would certainly try to be mindful of things that I've learned throughout the years and 
you know, foil that against the things that I would learn about Sean McDermott to see what conclusions I can come to. But it would be more of a probe session uh, than, hey, Sean McDermott, you need to do X, Y, and Z, if that makes sense. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tomorrow, we start focusing our attention on the Denver Broncos crossover preview with Lockdown Broncos. We'll have our primer, all the things that we do here on Lockdown Bills to get ready for a game, an important game. The Bills got Denver and the Jets the next two. You better win both of them because then it's the Eagles and the Chiefs. And so if the Bills are going to have a chance this year, you got to take care of the ones that you need to take care of. So we will get ready for that football game. Denver coming off the bye, coming to Buffalo Monday Night Football. So a lot to break down there. Don't miss anything. Make sure that you're subscribed. We'd love it. If you took a second to rate, review, and share the podcast, have a great rest of your day. Go Bills. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.